I want to give a shout out to Aventus. Aventus is the world's leader in trade surveillance for digital assets. Trusted by Coinbase, Gemini, OSL, and many others, Aventus is also helping scores of other firms enter the crypto markets. For digital asset trade surveillance, think Aventus. And I also want to give a shout out to Kraken. With Kraken, the cryptocurrency exchange, you can instantly buy and sell over 50 of the most popular cryptocurrencies or even earn additional rewards through their industry-leading staking service. Payouts are twice a week and you can earn up to 20% each year. Visit Kraken.com now to learn more. Exodus is one of the most loved crypto apps due to its sleek design and easy-to-use exchange feature. Secure and manage over 130 cryptocurrencies from your computer or phone. No account registration is required. Download Exodus at exodus.com and you're ready to go. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, Director of News at The Block. We have a very exciting and timely episode for you folks. Today, we're going to talk about mining, which has been in the news quite a bit. But before we get into anything granular, I'm going to introduce our guest. It's Amanda Fabiano, Head of Mining at Galaxy Digital. Amanda, I'm going to turn to a bit of history. I'm looking at a story I wrote back in October... 2020. Galaxy Digital is building a one-stop financial services shop for crypto miners. And in this story that I wrote, we broke this. This was during the early innings of Galaxy's foray into mining. We wrote about you. You were the person who would be leading this initiative. You joined the firm from Fidelity, where you kind of set a bit of a foundation for mining there at that large financial services firm, with which many are familiar. So mining is kind of in your blood. You've been building out this business for over a year now, well over a year. Before we get into the news of the day, tell us a little bit about that journey. Yeah. So Frank, thanks for having me and thanks for breaking the scoop when I uh, left Fidelity to join Gallup. Feels like seven years ago. It feels like so long ago. (laughs) So Since I started at Galaxy, it's been a lot of fun. But before that, like you said, I was at Fidelity. So I was the director of Bitcoin mining there. Um, You know, I ended up at Fidelity in a very weird, twisty, turny way. I didn't go to school for finance. I went to school for criminal justice and sociology. So naturally ended up at a financial service firm. It's like the natural progression that you have. You know, I, I started working in workplace investments, which is like a very straightforward group at Fidelity. And I soon realized that I was a little bit more curious than I think that group could handle. So I started to look into the different groups that Fidelity had to offer. And one group was Fidelity Center for Applied Technology. And they had a lot of really, um, you know, interesting things that they studied that was always really appealing to me. So I switched over to that group in like 2016, 2017 timeframe, and then was tasked with working in, you know, the blockchain incubator. So what I started doing there was I focused a lot on education. So I was teaching about Bitcoin on this thing called the Bits and Blocks Club to the firm. And so when I was voluntold that that was going to be my role, I I thought like I really have to learn about Bitcoin in order to, to be able to teach about this or to like give people guidance on like what this whole thing is. So I started to dig into the the rabbit hole that we all talk about and, and really never came up from that. So you know, it was a really interesting first job in Bitcoin because I was able to 
teach myself things along the way in like an institutional forum, right? So we had things like speakers, meetups, challenges, office hours, and it was really fun. I also worked a little bit on product and the project side for things in the incubator and, you know, was exploring like, you know, different projects that Fidelity could do related to Bitcoin. And then me and Bob McElrath, we started to think about the mining project that Fidelity had started in like 2014 timeframe. So Fidelity had a very small operation during that timeframe. They'd been mining Bitcoin that early on. And we were seeing about like a 30% failure rate on the machines. We were like, let's just look back into this. We realized when we like uncovered the hood a little bit, that mining was like this like crazy world. And I think that, you know, it's as close to criminal justice that I can get in Bitcoin because there's a lot of weird things that happen there. So I was, you know, I was really intrigued by it. I also thought that, you know, mining is the backbone of Bitcoin. There is no Bitcoin without Bitcoin mining. So I was kind of shocked at that point that people weren't paying a lot of attention to mining, especially like in the U.S. So really like um, wanted to reopen that mining project. And so we, we did that. So in 2017, we decided to order more machines from all the major manufacturers, place them within facilities, both within Fidelity's walls, as well as externally. And, you know, we were able to really, really learn about what the mining industry was, how it was shaped and, you know, all of the nuances that came along with that from an institutional perspective. So things like, you know, how you order machines um, from Fidelity, that was fun to deal with with procurement because they're used to having like, you know, long-term contracts where you pay for things after you get them and you diligence them. It's not really like how mining worked in 2017. It's, I think the manufacturer... Where were you getting your machines back then? The, the regular people. So, you know, all the major manufacturers we ordered from and the processes were definitely different. One of the groups, 50% of the machines arrived broken and they told us to use duct tape to fix them. So. That was a that was a fun antidotal story for us, you know, to be like, they told us to use duct tape, like Fidelity was not used to that type of reply. So yeah, I bet. (laughs) Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, And then, you know, so did you use duct tape? No, I think they they eventually ended up like sending us other materials. But yeah, that was an interesting reply (laughs) from them. But one thing that at that point, Yuri, who is now at Foundry, Yuri and I had figured out is like a lot of people weren't that educated on mining because it was such a weird little nuanced part of the industry. So we decided to launch a mining summit back in 2019. And that was open to the public. And it was probably one of the first ish from an institution that focused on like Bitcoin mining. And I still go back and watch some of the videos because some of the fundamentals are, are important now, even. So I guess like education has always been something that's been super important to me in mining. You know, even the summer at Galaxy, we have a whole education series. So every week we're diving into like a new topic on mining that's available for everybody to watch. Definitely check that out. It's a nice little plug for what it you was. guys are doing over there at Galaxy. <laughs> well, you made a really interesting point and I think it's pretty salient, which is mining is misunderstood, especially here in the West. But to a large degree, the reason why that's the case is because there's, or at least for so many years, there wasn't a large presence of miners mm-hmm. until the past year or so. So let's sort of unpack that. That's probably changing. I think people in, in the United States are thinking more about mining, Yeah, certainly from many different perspectives, whether they're pro-crypto or anti-crypto. But let's, let's double-click on that aspect, this migration to the United States. Galaxy represents one player among many. So maybe we can look at it from the micro of how Galaxy got into the business and how you see other firms, potentially rivals and service providers in the mining industry, et cetera, all moving here to the U.S. 
Yeah. So um, how Galaxy started in mining actually predated me. So we have an investment banking group who worked on a couple deals um, with miners. So that's how it really, they dug into it. Galaxy also did a deal back in the day with Huddy with like a credit facility. So they had been working like tangentially with miners. And I think, you know, as mining became more and more prevalent, they said, look, we should really try to dig in here. So we made it our fifth and most recent business line. I think across the board, like what we're offering is financial services to miners. So we do two things. We mine on our own behalf. So we prop mine. And then we also offer financial services. And like your first scoop said, we're, you know, building this one-stop shop for financial services for miners. And I think that there's, you know, some other people that are, are trying to do similar things. I think that we see a lot more people questioning about how they get involved on the investment side of mining. We've had, you know, some groups approach us like, how do we even get started in this? You know, the one prevailing question that they always ask is like the energy consumption question, right? Like that comes up with most investor calls that we take that are like, hey, I'm interested in mining. How do I jump in? So I think that has been something that I was very surprised when I first started here that it came up so many times in conversations. So I think, you know, there's traditional investors now like, you know, opening their eyes to how Bitcoin mining could be like a really good investment if done correctly. I think there's groups building financial services like us, like Foundry, like BitUda, financial service ideas and solutions for miners. And I think that there's been a proliferation of public mining companies, right? So we saw Riot, Marathon, Huddy, um, and obviously this is North America, not just America. Huddy, Argo, we see all of these like large mining companies that have continued to scale. And the great thing about that is they are required to publicly release what they're doing so we can monitor yeah, like how big they're growing, mm-hmm. what the machines they have. So that's one thing that we've kept an eye on over the past, you know, since we started this. And they are going to account for right now, it's about like 10% of the network, right? And that was before the network just dropped in China. But they are with forward purchasing orders, we're going to account for like a large sum of the network. So I think you know, North American mining is, is just going to continue to grow. So what kicked this off exactly? What was the catalyst that made North American mining something that was on everyone's radar today? You know, that's a really good question. I think it seems like everyone just woke up and was like, hey, you can, you know, we want Bitcoin. How do you get Bitcoin lower than you could buy it on the market? Well, you can always mine Bitcoin, right? Because if you have the right setup, you can mine a Bitcoin much lower than you can buy it on the open market. So maybe that's like a good solution. It also does, um, it mimics a little bit of like commodity world, right? So like the machines are becoming commoditized, right? You have like these traditional data centers that houses them. So like energy companies are starting to perk up, like traditional companies that invest in infrastructure starting to perk up and think like, hey, is this something that, you know, is a different solution for me to invest in? And I think like Bitcoin narrative has just skyrocketed. And I also think that the bull market didn't hurt us. It helped us, right, with that. So as Bitcoin price goes up, everyone has way more questions about mining, which is funny because the time that you should get into mining is when you're in a bear market because <laughs> every no one wants to get into mining then. So it's the best time to get like machines, build out infrastructure, et cetera. Well, here we are, Bitcoin trading at 32, 30. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe we're down to like 15. Hey, that's the way things are going. No, it's funny. When you mine Bitcoin, your bottom is much lower than Explain that. So when we look at this backdrop of the market, looks like obviously bearish sentiment has gripped everything. And maybe that has something to do with what we're seeing out of China, which has kind of been the the elephant in the room of this discussion that we're having, right? Effectively, China has 
ban mining? What is this for the seventeenth time, maybe? Or yeah, but it's sad. It's actually real this time. But this might be the real deal. So China's banned it. Effectively, ninety percent of all operations there have shut. Probably be a hundred percent at some point. And we've already had bearish sentiment in the market, maybe tied to Elon Musk or whoever knows what. So unpack that. So first, let's maybe walk through what exactly happened in China, the degree to which that's feeding this bearish narrative and how that's impacting the overall mining ecosystem. There's three Big questions. Maybe we can go through okay, so them one by one. First, one by one. We're gonna have to somebody's this. writing them down. I'll, I won't forget them. So first, what happened exactly in China? So it's funny that you asked that question because I actually text Wolfie on a regular basis asking what's happening in China. So most of my news comes from you on that. But on May 21st of this year, we saw, you know, at a meeting with the vice premier, we saw that a public policy was announced restricting Bitcoin mining and trading. And at first, you know, there was a lot of speculation on whether this was, you know, ESG related, financial related. There has been a ton of speculation on why it's happening. But I think the ESG narrative can probably be like struck in because Yunnan, which is the latest provenance, actually this Sichuan is, is the latest, but Yunnan was earlier this week, the latest provenance to ban it, which is mainly hydro. So I have torn reaction on the Chinese news on one side you know, I think that it's really sad. A lot of people have built lives there on Bitcoin mining. They were the first people to, you know, dive into how to set up these like large mining facilities, right? To like, they have been holding the Bitcoin network up and running, right? Forever. So I genuinely fail for the, the groups that have been working on that. And I've been lucky enough to meet some of them and you get to know them on a personal basis, right? And then you're like, wow, your whole life, like if Bitcoin mining got banned in America, there would be a lot of us that would be like, oh my God, like, what do we do next? So feel for them on that side. On the other side, I think it's really bullish for North American mining. And I also think it's a testament to how the Bitcoin network is so resilient. An entire country just banned Bitcoin mining. That is supposedly accounting for like the largest hash rate distribution of the world. And yet the Bitcoin network continues on. So even though we see price drop, we see hash rate and difficulty drop, right? Bitcoin is still alive. So it's incredible that like an entire country that has been behind a lot of the industry of Bitcoin mining can ban it and Bitcoin just continues to survive. Um, so I think, you know, Nick can probably remove China bans mining from his FUD dice for the 2022 edition. And maybe we'll add something on there like mining is run by coal in Kazakhstan, right? Or mm-hmm. Russian controls mining, because I think that, you know, outside of the US, I think that those are probably two of the hubs that mining will flock to. So, you kind of answered all of the questions in a way. They're all kind of baked in there. So wow. in terms of how this news is playing to the bearish sentiment, it's kind of bullish because it proves how resilient Bitcoin is. But maybe in some respects, it's bearish, right? Because you have this adjustment period, you know, hash rate drops. And then as for miners specifically, you know, it's bearish because there's this whole group of folks who have built their livelihoods around this industry in a given country, and now that's gone. But on the other side of the ocean from them, there are opportunists who are kind of at the ground floor of this and, and can build businesses from Yeah, it definitely proves the decentralization factor of Bitcoin mining. This whole like news alert has shown that, that Bitcoin is just it is decentralized, right? Like I don't think there's a lot of other networks that can compare with this if something this large was to happen. 
So, I mean, it's profound when you think about just the amount of equipment, the amount of workers, the amount of companies operating in China. What happens to all those rigs? What happens to all those setups? Do they just throw them out? Do they try to find folks like you in North America who can buy them? Do they completely relocate some of these Chinese miners? What happens? So I think that all of those things are on the table, depending on what you have. So if you have like older machines, you have to think about two things when you're, um, well, a lot of things right now, but two main things that I'm thinking about from my seat as a Chinese miner trying to move machines to America. If you're coming to America, there is the tax, right? So when you're shipping machines out of China, there's a 28% tariff that gets slapped on top of that. So if your machine is pretty old, like maybe it does make sense just to shut it down and throw it out, right? But if you have relatively new machines, you might want to build a new facility in the US. You might want to find a co-location facility. The other thing that I think is is interesting, so you have you know the tariffs, but then you also have the hosting costs. So most of these miners, it, it takes a while to build out a facility, right? Like you can't do that in a day. But most of these miners are, are looking for co-location facilities. And a lot of them are full in the U.S. right now. And the ones that aren't, they're going to be much more. These are the data. These are the data centers where you yeah. store the, the rigs. Yep, exactly. So a lot of them are full in the U.S. And then also they're going to be much higher priced than the facilities in China. So you have like the tariff cost and then also the, the higher price of co-location. And so I wonder how that will play out. Like if miners will say, and I think this is still TBD, right? This is also new. So we've had conversations with people that are, you know, trying to move their machines, trying to sell their machines. And I think we will see some of them just shut down. Is anyone going to go out of business? I don't know if that's a dumb question. I feel like the answer's got to be obvious. Yes, but... Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I think that like, I, I'm not, you know, in China, I don't know how it, it really works. I just have conversations with people like Wolfie and, you know, Chinese miners that provide insight. star veteran reporter. We're going to have him come on too. We, we, we'll have <laughs> him come on at some point to um, talk about some of his reporting. Yeah. But I, I think that, you know, there's a lot that's still TBD because this is relatively new. But I, like I said at the beginning, I do really feel for the people who have been doing this for a while that their rug was just pulled from underneath them. I want to give another shout out to Aventus. Aventus is the world's leading platform for digital asset trade surveillance and market risk. With some of the largest crypto exchanges and institutions in the world using Aventus to drive efficiencies in their regulatory operations. On June 22nd and the 23rd, Aventus and the Association for Digital Asset Markets will be co-hosting a premier virtual conference shining a light on Digital Asset Markets 2021. Visit AventusSystems.com today to register for this event so you can hear from the key regulators and thought leaders in digital assets. Have to give a shout out to Kraken, one of our sponsors. For the last 10 years, Kraken has been known as one of the best platforms for trading crypto online. Now with the new Kraken app, it's easier than ever to buy and sell over 60 of the most popular cryptocurrencies on the go 24-7. Simply download the Kraken app, connect to your bank account, and start investing for as little as $10. Just a minute is all it takes to get started. Visit kraken.com slash scoop now to learn more or search Kraken in the App Store. 
I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Exodus. Exodus is one of the most loved crypto apps due to its sleek design and easy to use exchange feature. Secure and manage over 130 cryptocurrencies from your computer or phone and interactive charts let you view the price history of a specific asset and your portfolio's performance over time. Sync your wallet across multiple devices to access your funds from anywhere. And maybe the best part, Exodus is integrated with Trezor Hardware Wallet, making advanced security easy for everyone. Download Exodus at exodus.com today. Let's shift to something that you would have a ton more color on because it's about Galaxy. You see news come out like this. You hit up your sources in China. You hit up Wolfie. You find out what's happening. What's the strategy? What's the game plan you draft after something like this to execute on this news for the business? Yeah. So, um, you know, I think that there's a few things that we can do. We offer financial services for miners, right? So machines that are now available, right, that people want to finance, we can help with that. We can help locate facilities for Chinese miners. So we've been helping with some of that so like consultancy, et cetera. I think, you know, all of those options are on the table. There are other things that we could potentially do in the future that can, you know, be useful, but, you know, we're a public company, so only so much we could share before earnings. Understood. (laughs) So, I mean, clearly I can hypothesize for the audience and you can blink if I'm right, but there could be instances where there are companies that to get over this hurdle while they figure things out, maybe you're extending some line of credit to them or something as they navigate these uncertain waters, stuff like that, like financy stuff. Financy stuff for sure. I think that um the thing that is is interesting with financing miners, right, is that you have to feel very strong about their operation in order to feel like you can back them financially. Yeah. Right? So in so- this case you're probably <laughs> like, eh. well, if you don't have a location for your machines and I don't know how much you're paying for electricity, that doesn't put me in a very good spot to help, right? Um yeah. So the answer is no, you're not, you're not <laughs> going to do that until you have some more clarity about what's to come. I think there's a lot of opportunity to help out, you know, in multiple ways, and it doesn't always have to be commercial. Understood. Okay, so we're sort of, most of the stuff out of China, is there anything else that you're like thinking about that, or maybe that folks are not thinking enough about as it pertains to this news? So, you know, the only thing that I would say that was, it was kind of interesting to me So we saw like, you know, China say that they were going to ban Bitcoin and mining a few times. And last week we saw that a bill in New York got shut down, right? To, um, Mm -hmm. it would have established a three-year ban on proof of work mining. So, you know, I I think that the narrative that we have around Bitcoin mining and Bitcoin energy, like really does need to shift so that we can show like how good Bitcoin actually is and how much, you know, it always has this like negative reaction. And I know like we've talked about this before where, you see like articles comparing Bitcoin transaction count to like crazy things, right? Um, the amount of energy that Bitcoin transactions take. So for me, I think that like we need to, as a community, be better about sharing the energy consumption narrative because we see things like this happen in China. We see news like last week in New York and granted we got over that. So that's good, but it does still stress me out. And I, I definitely lose sleep over that. I do think like to play devil's advocate, the Bitcoin world gets hypersensitive about the energy narrative and like no one will say, well, yeah, Bitcoin uses a fair amount of energy. You know, Frank, 
That's very funny. We actually did that in one of our reports recently. Well, there was a report where you guys compared it to gold and the different banks. Banks use more than double the energy of Bitcoin. But that's also kind of like a random... It's kind of like a comparison. It's well, not really, because if you think about what we compare Bitcoin to, it's a store of value in a medium of exchange. And so when you think of like what is the traditional store of value, you think gold, right? When you think of what is like the medium of exchange, you think the financial system. I think the hard part is when you're trying to answer that question, it's like, where do you start, right? You can compare it to things, but that only goes so far. It kind of is like the what aboutism. And those numbers are great data points for us to have, but it really always comes down to like the utility of Bitcoin and whether we think it's useful or not. And so, you know, if you think that like the work that, for example, Alex Gladstein and Jack Mullers is doing for people all over the world, if you think that Bitcoin isn't useful, well, I don't know what to say to that, right? (laughs) Because Bitcoin does have useful advantages to people beyond just, you know, those of us who are trying to build a one-stop shop for financial services for minors, right? Um, So I think that, It really does go down to how people think about Bitcoin because we could argue energy consumption on anything and that's kind of how we start it. But that really doesn't answer the full question. It really gets into like philosophy around Bitcoin and how you feel about it. Nick Carter, this is something that is very close to his heart Mm -hmm. and he kind of unpacks the commonplace energy argument into these four parts. Bitcoin uses a lot of energy there's X amount of transactions. If you combine those two, you get this crazy energy use per transaction figure. And so therefore, you know, Bitcoin is is bad for the environment. I'm sure this is something you speak with folks across various industries about. How do you then tear down that sort of three-part logic? One thing that Nick also tears down is s'mores at a bonfire, just for the record. He's a really good s'mores um, eater, not so much maker. Um, you could tell him. Well, he'll hear this, so he'll, he'll be able to yell at we'll, him. We'll cut this out just for him, <laughs> and I'll email it to him personally. Yeah, so, um, you know, in terms of when I have to answer questions for someone who asks about Bitcoin's energy usage, you know, it does go back to energy usage in itself is not a bad thing, right? It's not a terrible thing to use energy. We use energy for everything we have in this world. And again, it's just a matter of if you think that something is a useful form of energy. So, you know, that's usually how I approach the situation with people who are asking. And then I think that, you know, adding data and facts to it is also really important. So, you know, we think about the amounts of electricity, for example, that's lost in energy and in transmission and distribution. It's 19 times that of the Bitcoin network. And the energy footprint of always on electrical devices in America is 12.1 times that of the Bitcoin network. What we always hear is how Bitcoin is ruining the world. We don't hear about how your toaster being left on is like ruining the world, right? Because people don't care that much about it. I think, you know, it's it's really easy to pick on Bitcoin's energy consumption because it is so transparent. Well, I think the thing that no one's talking about is the sheer amount of lobbying and political energy that goes into defending big toast. Yeah, um, it's I ridiculous. Mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, they're... Kellogg's. It's huge. I mean, Bitcoin can't hold a candle to the amount of, you know, energy going around Big Toast, the Big Toast money and lobbyists. It's insane. The KitchenAid people are behind it, I swear. (laughs) So where does this, obviously, we were kind of talking about before we turned on the mics, the amount of weight at the end of the day, this narrative has this ESG 
narrative around Bitcoin, the impact it has for companies who are looking for potential investment, what it means for people just throwing their weight behind Bitcoin. You have figures like Elon Musk. We don't really know how, you know, the degree to which he's being disingenuous about what he tweets. But I mean, him saying that Bitcoin is not environmentally friendly has had some degree of impact. How do we get over that hurdle? Yeah, so um, that's a good question. I think that's been like a topic of contention for, you know, the past few weeks, I'd say, in like the Bitcoin mining community, especially. So, um, you know, one thing that you brought up, our, our good friend Elon, um, there was a, obviously a conversation that was had with Elon Musk that was, it sparked this idea of a Bitcoin mining council. And so the mandate of that council, right, is to promote transparency share best practices and educate the public benefit of Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining. And I think that education at this point um, from, you know, some of the larger companies is actually something that's really good. If we think about, I I read an article this week about how the House passed an ESG disclosure bill, which would require public companies to disclose their ESG metrics. And it was obviously, it was narrowly approved by the House this past Wednesday. I mean, it has more steps to take, but those things, plus the New York bill, like they do kind of scare me for like where things could go for this narrative with ESG and Bitcoin mining. So, you know, I think that there's different things that we can do. We can just look away and continue to mine or we can try to like combat the narrative a little bit with some facts. Um, and I think that's, you know, really the, the true feature of, of what we were trying to start with the Bitcoin Mining Council. It was something that came about because we just felt like this is something that is not going away. If we look at, you know, I was reading some articles recently on ESG and just the ESG mandate. From an investment perspective, you see that ESG isn't going away. So over the past decade, ESG investing has emerged as this one article called it the single biggest global megatrend. And every year, $3 trillion in new global funds flow into the $30 ESG market. According to Bank of America, um, another $20 is set to flow into ESG funds over the next two decades which would make it exceed the S&P 500. Mm. You also have, from a news perspective and from mainstream media perspective, it's not going away. Uh, we see from every large news outlet that like Bitcoin is boiling the oceans, Bitcoin is doing X, Y, Z. There was this leaked video, I don't know if you saw it, of the guy's name is Charlie Chester. He's a technical director from CNN. And what he said was fair sells. And after the COVID story comes to an end, CNN is prepared to focus on selling the climate change story and promote fear. So if we think about like, this is what like, you know, people at like a high level yeah. at CNN are saying, you have investors saying this. And if you Google, you know, things that are like, if you Google ESG and Bitcoin mining, like you Google like transit and see how it correlates, it kind of does. So if we think about, you know, we want investors to invest in Bitcoin mining because we think that it's really important, whether you need that or not as a Bitcoin mining company, like, that's your own prerogative. But the narrative around Bitcoin, it, it is silly because Bitcoin isn't bad for the environment. And it usually is using the best forms of energy, the greenest forms of energy. You know, the best case of that is off-grid mining. So what, what people like GAM, Crusoe, Upstream Data, everything that they're doing with like taking that flared methane, converting it to electricity and mining Bitcoin off it, like those are amazing stories that need to be front and center. Every time that someone says, you know, Bitcoin is ruining the world with its energy usage. And they really should be, like we talked about before, focusing on the KitchenAid people. Like <laughs> we need to make a t-shirt. <laughs> so I guess like, you know, if we're talking about headlines, um, we can tie another connection to China here. Wolfie put out a piece about how the crackdown 
on Bitcoin mining has maybe made the network greener already. Yeah. You know, I think that's the question we need to answer, though. I, I feel like, you know, we all and I'm guilty of this, too. I say like like I just said, like Bitcoin is always going towards the lowest, greenest forms of energy. You know, it's tough because we just need some data points around that. And the closest thing we have is Cambridge Center for Alternative Finance, which is a couple of years outdated. And we know now, actually, I think it's only one year outdated. We know now that everything is shut down in China. So where did they all go? We just need updated data to be able to combat this this narrative. Because I do agree with Wolfie. I think that it is the greenest. But how do we how do we prove that? That's just with data points. And that's exactly what the Bitcoin Mining Council wants to do. What about this idea about, you know, the origin of Bitcoin? To what degree should firms that are buying Bitcoin care about where it's being sourced in as much as whether or not the miners that are mining these new Bitcoin are sort of using green sources of energy? Green mining, yeah. So is that is that just like a farce? I think things like green mining, clean mining, virgin coin is all a fallacy in Bitcoin. So if we think about when you get down to the technical level, right, or not really even that technical of, of when Bitcoin is mined, there's one output, right? So you you don't know whether that was clean coins, right, virgin coins, green coins, or transaction fees. So what happens to all the 18 million plus Bitcoin in circulation that we don't know where it came from, right? What about the transaction fees? Like, do we know where the origin of that was? I think that this is like a way for people to try to add value onto certain Bitcoins and really mess with the fungibility of Bitcoin. So, I mean, I, I kind of reject it at all costs because I think it's silly. Who's buying it also? I mean, if I have a coin that I can sell for a higher value, that's great. But if no one's buying it on the other end, how does it have any more value than another Bitcoin? Mm-hmm. Oh, one more thing on that. Most miners use pools. They don't have their own. Well, there's a couple of miners that have their own pools, right? But most miners use pools. So that means that the coin that you're you've mined is not technically the coin that you got, right? Because there's like change addresses that are used, right? They're constantly giving up Bitcoin. So it's not like you're saying like this one Bitcoin that I mined and this one block is now mine and it's like transferred to me and and it's devoid of all transaction fees. Yeah, it's getting mixed together with all sorts of different... And then on top of that, if you're an institutional investor, you're probably using an institutional custodian, which usually uses an omnibus wallet account, which then merges Mm -hmm. it all together anyways. Yeah, it kind of makes it a Herculean, virgin, impossible task. So then, you know, all eyes are on the U.S. right now, and especially on U.S. miners and folks operating in the U.S. mining arena. So how do they prove or how do they work to make sure that mining is done in a sustainable way? I think that that's up to every individual company, right? I think that that's the beauty of competition in Bitcoin mining, right, is you can always have some type of competitive edge over someone else. I think that when it comes to how you have a competitive edge on the energy mix, um, if you are using green or clean or whatever type of energy we want to call it, it could be cheaper. And if your energy is cheaper, as Bitcoin mining becomes more competitive, you're on the lower end of the cost curve. So you will stay and be profitable longer than someone who's on the higher end of the cost curve, right? So as long as you're setting up your individual operation to be like smart compared to where the general market is now, you know, it should be like cleaner, greener um, energy is like cheaper. So you'll see like a lot of the off-grid mining companies pay less than, you know, someone on-grid mining. And then that's a beautiful thing. So let's zoom out and think about, you know, some of your expectations for the future. Put the crystal ball in front of you. 
What are some of your predictions, prognostications for the market, for the crypto mining, Bitcoin mining market over the next six months? You know, it's funny. If you asked me that six months ago, I would have said that hardware would have been really difficult for the entire year. And we would have saw our steady Well, that was part of the problem that we (laughs) didn't know where this stuff was going to come from. Now we have a whole... Yeah. And I also would have said that hash rate would increase steadily over the next year because we knew that manufacturers were completely sold out. Everything has changed over the past two weeks, right? Things that we would never expect. So I think any prediction is crazy to make in this market. I think making predictions in Bitcoin mining is even crazier. I think I can only make predictions on, you know, where I want to be. You know, I want to continue to build Galaxy's mining team. I want to continue to build what we're doing. I want to continue to find ways to support miners' financial needs. And I also want to continue to build our hash rate. So we announced publicly that we have 1.9 exahash of machines that we've purchased so far out till 2022. So lots of work to be done with that. So I hope, you know, in six months from now, well, I'll talk to you like in a week or maybe tomorrow or five minutes. But in six months from now, I'll have some really interesting things to tell you about where we've gone. And I hope that there's a lot of other North American mining companies that are growing like that, too. Is there any other region that can kind of vie for supremacy now that China is outside of the picture? Obviously, there's a lot of attention on North America, but could some other place come out as a top dog? I think, um, Probably like Russia and Kazakhstan can potentially be tough. And, and then how could we forget about volcano energy and El Salvador? Yeah. Is that, so is there real teeth to uh, volcano powered mining? Are you guys looking into that? I would love to look into that with the appropriate parties. I think that it would be an amazing project to work on. I also just think, you know, what they're doing, what the message that Jack gave um, at Bitcoin 2021 was was really incredible. And it made us all remember like what the like ethos of why we're all here and like what Bitcoin is to so many people. Yeah. Well, it was really great having you on the show. I guess Thanks we can- for having me. Oh, anytime. It's been a long time coming. It went by quicker than I would have expected, but that's the energy that you guys bring from Galaxy. The scoop will be back for you. Let's thank our guest, Amanda Fabiano, a Galaxy Head of Mining. Thanks so much. 